Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 25th. As I've mentioned these past couple days, even though we're after the U.S. Open, there has been so much tennis to follow right now from the tennis world. Obviously, Labor Cup capturing the attention, the imagination of tennis fans everywhere over this past weekend. But we also had two ATP-level events, three WTA-level events, a ton of significant results results there. So what I figured we'd do today, talk a little winners and losers, get through the storylines, the players who have shined, you know, some of the things that may have bothered us over the past uh, week and a half of tennis. And joining me to do all of that, I figured there is no better winner to join this loser to discuss all of these things. (laughs) You may recognize his face from the work he did previewing and doing sideline red carpet interviews at Labor Cup, his work at US Open now and really tournaments everywhere throughout the year. Nick McCarville, welcome back to the Break that is that is tough on you, Alex, to call yourself a loser out of the gate. <laughs> you know, uh, a wise man once said, "Self-deprecation builds trust," and so I'm just really <laughs> trying to build trust with my listeners. Yeah, no, I, I think that you've got the right formula there. Well played. Uh, so you know that wise man was my college roommate. Um, but that <laughs> notwithstanding, I, you know, I, I'm feeling good. I want to know, how are you, you know, with all the tennis, even I, I'm flustered. It's a ton to follow, but you're going multiple time zones. You're doing sideline interviews, all of these different things. How are you feeling, Nick? Yeah, well, I think uh, you and I were both confused when we were texting what was this morning for me in Geneva, which is (laughs) actually now like 19 hours ago. But um, no, I mean, listen, I'm I'm used to sort of figuring out whatever time zone my body's in. I actually I think about the players in those scenarios because it usually takes me like a couple days to get back and, and feeling like a normal human being. And so, I mean, you just imagine the players and the way that they travel year-round and the fact that they then have to play a professional sport. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I'm good. Listen, Geneva was a dream. Um, I'd never been to Switzerland, so that was cool. I stayed an extra day. I went to the Olympic Museum and geeked out in my other love and passion, which is the Olympics um, in Lausanne, which was cool. And then, yeah, flew back this morning. I, you mentioned that commitment, that player, or the time traveling, uh, time traveling, the co- constant traveling. I guess they're time traveling. Now I'm time traveling. All right, back on topic. <laughs> the point is, I saw a photo of Alex Vera getting to his hotel, and I, I don't know what the time difference is from Geneva, but I imagine it's at least six hours to where he is now. And like to have to do that after celebrating probably the past 36 hours, or certainly not being tennis focused. Yeah, that transition is brutal. And so I feel like for all of these Labor Cup guys the next week, just throw out their results. Like that recovery is, I, I can only imagine what it's like. And I want to ask you, since you were there, I mean, is there a hangover effect? Yeah, I mean, I think the one maybe benefit for those guys is I think there may be some private jets involved with uh, <laughs> Geneva, which I obviously wasn't on any of those. Um, no, I, you know, you look at, you look at Zverev this week, I think Isner and Chapo are in action, maybe. Uh, Batista Gut is as well, even though he didn't play in Geneva. But um, I was just looking at the Geneva schedule in general, and, you know, it's packed from Friday afternoon through to Sunday. I mean, you could have guys playing two, three, four matches. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily throw their throw their results completely out the window this this week but I think there's a little bit of an asterisk as far as you know how they'll perform and really going from Europe into Asia that that's a tough that's a tough swing for sure 
I have it in front of me. You're at 19.6 thousand followers on Twitter right now. I feel like you're 400 away from a JetBlue sponsorship. Like 20,000, <laughs> yeah. they start comping you some free flights. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, that's why I want to ask you, talk about it being jam-packed, yet there's still a hangover effect. It's only a three-day event. I mean, the players, media obligations probably start that Sunday before for Federer and maybe Kyrgios, but certainly by Wednesday, you're steeped in Labor Cup activity. Um, for you, despite it being only a three-day event and again we're going to get to our winners and losers from the past week of tennis in a second but what is that atmosphere like you were just at the U.S. Open for a closing weekend how does it compare to that yeah yeah so listen caveat is I just was tweeting about Labor Cup and I had a couple people tweet back at me and and say you were paid by Labor Cup to go there Uh, yeah obviously (laughs) I mean I, I went as a reporter for the Labor Cup to help with their social media and to do courtside interviews but Um, I have to say, Alex, there is not an event in tennis like Labor Cup. And I know that it's to a lot of savants, to a lot of tennis geeks and hipsters out there, we feel as though we're not quite sure if this is an exhibition, there's no points attached, is an ITF event, ATP now claims it as one of theirs. I, the, the passion from the players and the atmosphere in which they played in both in Chicago where I, I made my labor cup debut. And then this year again, I mean, you know, you had five sessions of over 17,000 people filling an arena and, you know, most of them are going to tell you that they're there first and foremost to see Roger Federer. But I, I was pretty shocked because we get to, what was it? Eight hours of tennis on Sunday. And you've got Milos Raonic and Sasha Zverev playing for the title and they get to a third set match tie break. And the place was electric and it was still 90% full and the players were amped. And you just, it's hard to say that there's not a a long, long track for this thing to run down. I think it's going to find its footing in the next few years, but Uh, You know, on the ground, it was fantastic. The fans make it. The players make it. You know, they provide the atmosphere in conjunction with the fans. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting as a journalist, quote unquote, for me to be there and kind of to try to feel out the what it is versus, say, a tour event or a slam. Um, cause it's, it's not there yet. I, it's certainly never going to be a slam, but I don't think that any of the organizers are trying to make it a slam. They're trying to make it something different and new and change is weird and change is hard, especially in a professional sport. So, um, no, I, listen, it, it was incredible. Um, the, the crowd was awesome. I thought the guys brought it, I, you know, there was maybe a couple flat matches quality wise. Sock Fonini was actually hard to watch. Um, but other than that, I think that, you know, really when you look at the quality of play, the quality of crowd, the passion from the guys, and then just the uniqueness of the event, right? The, um, the fact that he, he, you've got the coaching and Rafa is proving himself to be like the biggest tennis wonk there is out there. <laughs> so enjoyable for all of us to watch. And that's the product they want to put out there. They want to put out something different. Um, which, you know, is truly enjoyable, I think, both on the ground from someone who's there and sort of seeing it through different eyes. And then I, I think for, I don't know, I mean, what what did you take in as you watched it? So quickly on the Jack Sock thing, this was going to be one of my losers slash winners, the winner aspect of it throughout the weekend. I was home at, with my parents this weekend and I'm watching the event with my mom and she goes, oh God, like Jack Socks, his shorts just, I, I don't know, she doesn't have a Boston accent. I don't know why that slipped out, but he was just, those sh- <laughs> she was like, those shorts are just, they're begging to explode off of his hips. Like, I mean, he, uh, he was carrying a full, you know, the booty was full for Jack Sock this weekend. He was filling out those shorts. Um, so I see what you're saying. She was one of my winners for saying that the loser's probably the waistband. Um, but the parallel that kept coming to me all weekend long 
was it's it was sort of like an all-star game only it felt like it mattered more you know the nba the nfls because their seasons are shorter but they they still plan in an all-star break the tennis schedule doesn't really allow for that you have the australian open in january then five months of varying degrees of tournaments of or varying degree tournaments with varying degrees of importance and then of course you have the summer swing you go french open then four weeks then wimbledon and then all of a sudden you're in the summer hardcourt season uh, there's really no time for these players to breathe Yes, we are done with the U.S. Open at this point of the year, but in terms of Labor Cup and its sustainability or what it could be, its place in the tennis schedule, it felt like an all-star game. It felt like these players all coming together, uh, really enjoying the competitiveness, the team aspect of the event, getting to step out of their comfort zone. Uh, You mentioned uh, you know, everyone's there to see Federer. Well, if you're going to see Roger Federer at the U.S. Open in the second, third round of the tournament, you're not going to get the fist pumps you're getting from him uh, when he's fighting off uh, John Isner, when he's playing these big matches, these varying degrees of doubles matches with Pass, all these different aspects. You're right. You don't see that week in, week out. And yeah, you could tell it was palpable, the feeling of the crowd being committed to Team Europe. They're chanting Sasha. They're booing Team World. And that Team World embraced that booing, fed off of it. Uh, That was half of the fun as well. It felt like in this event, momentum actually mattered. And you know that that's rare in tennis because sometimes at a slam you spend so much effort you know a herculean five-set performance on the men's side you're it's 10-8 in the fifth and then you're just drained come the next round well because of the format of this tournament because it's only best of three sets with a third set 10 point breaker uh yeah it's just the quickness of it the intensity of it and it felt like each match was interconnected with one another that's just not what we get on tour every week yeah, I mean, it's super different. Um, I, I'm going to leave your Jack Sock comments where they are. But I, I, I mean, I, I think that Jack's, I think he's probably just figuring out how to play himself back into shape. I mean, he's obviously not in the top shape that he wants to be, but that doesn't... An off-season away. That wasn't me. That was my mom criticizing yeah, him. Yeah, Let's be course. clear, no, listeners. Uh, Sorry, throwing mom. her under the bus here. But no, I, I, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Sorry. No, and I mean, it didn't affect his doubles. Like, look at, yeah. uh, you know... He's he was still, awesome. He still proves himself to be... And I know that he's just got this chip on his shoulder about being such a good doubles player. But the fact of the matter is he's the best doubles player in the world right now. And, uh, you know, maybe the one critique I could have is that maybe he and he and uh, Shapovalov probably should have won that doubles match against Zverev and Federer. It should have been 2-2 after that first day. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's super different, you know, and that's different is hard to figure out and different is fun. And that's sort of where Labor Cup is oscillating right now. Yeah, And uh, you mentioned winners in, or Denis Shapovalov and his performance in doubles. That is a perfect way to transition into our winners and losers segment. You know, of course, we spent five minutes on Jack Sock. That's half of them. That's where we expected this podcast to go. Um, but with that in mind, uh, as I mentioned, a ton of tennis to recap. Uh, with you being at Labor Cup, you seeing these first hands, maybe there's some funny things you'll throw in this list, but I asked you to come up with your winners and losers from the past week. So first off, Westoff, give me a winners and losers sound effect. <laughs> All right, Nick, let's start with some fun. Your first winner of the week. My first winner is brought to you by Labor Cup, the official sponsor <laughs> of the last week of my life. And <laughs> no, honestly, I, I my first winner is super cheesy, and it's tennis. I, I Labor Cup, waver, tennis wins because of Labor Cup. And I, I know that I sort of am trying to be self-deprecating, too, in the fact that I did go and work for the event, but... Come on, like, look at look at the passion on the court. Look at the, you know, what's 17 times 5? 105,000 people that packed that stadium. Look at the broadcasters. The ATP was there for the first time. I had several people from the ATP come up to me with these bug eyes of, like, holy sh**, this is an amazing event. And I think that change is hard, and I think that I love to see a women's labor cup i'd love to see a wta cup when we get to january 2021 or 2022 in australia but these are the little things that we have to do in our sports and 
Just, to, I mean, a couple times, Alex, walking out or watching the players walk out, they had Rod Laver come out both on Friday and Sunday onto court. And I kind of got a little bit emotional because it's just really cool to see this living legend in Laver be honored in such a way and his legacy is carried on. And he walks out and the entire arena stands up and it's this roar that is, you know, close to what Rafa and Roger were getting. And um, I really, truly do feel like tennis wins because of Labor Cup. I say this lovingly. I think your brain's still on Celsius, 17 times 5, 85, um, just for our listeners so they don't get mad. Um, <laughs> that was but, close enough. That was only yeah, 20 no, off. Yeah, I was going to say it counts. You got the 5. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. My friends made fun of me this weekend because we were watching Labor Cup all Sunday, in particular in the build-up to football, but throughout the weekend. And, uh, you know, they were commenting on, oh, it's so cool to see this team aspect. It's so cool to see the on-court coaching. And I'm like, I know, guys, and this is supposed to be tennis. And then I got, you know, I lost my mind. I was like, it's tennis. And I was like, this. it was just unbelievable to, I agree with you, tennis was the winner. And people get mad when you extrapolate things seen at Labor Cup onto the professional circuit because there is the fact, is it a glorified exhibition? If you said, hey, there's serious money, serious ranking points on the line, you know, then right away you're like, well, what's the criteria for making this team? It seems unfair if this player's playing and this one's not. But it feels like as a tennis community, we have to take away the fact that the on-court coaching or just seeing these guys respond to one another in the moment in a competitive environment, it, it clearly is enticing. And so, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. It's, it's definitely, you know, tennis is winner number one, but it, it certainly is going to force us to reexamine some things. Yeah, totally. Um, you speak of reexamining, that leads me to my first loser, which is oh, Team World. Team World literally lost this week for the third time in Labor Cup. And, you know, it was interesting. We were discussing in the press room, you know, it, it would have been really great for the event, I think, to have Team World win. So then it would have been 2-1 as they go to Boston. But, I mean, these guys are just punching ab- above their weight. Uh, you know, look at the rosters and the fact that Team World put itself in this great position to win it. I mean, they had two chances, right? They had Isner and the double, or excuse me, Isner and Raonic. Um, and that's a huge credit to Team World in general, but also to Taylor Fritz and that performance. Um, that's like a mini winner is Taylor Fritz and, and just that that one match tiebreak, the way that he played against Team. But um, I actually wouldn't mind seeing Team World sort of like wipe the slate clean. And you've got Johnny Mack coming back next year. And, you know, not that I wouldn't like to see Isner and Chapo and Kyrgios and Sock back on the team, but... I'd love to see Del Potro in this atmosphere. I think he'd be so good. I'd love for them to figure out how they get Nishikori to play this. I'd love to see Kevin Anderson back. Diego Schwartzman was like a Midwest folk hero when he played in Chicago. Um, <laughs> that's close to French Canada, uh, Boston next year. So I just, I wonder if Team World sort of shakes things up and, and puts in these guys that we haven't really featured at Alex D. Menar, I think he would be really great in this format as well. Um, so I wonder if they can figure out how to flip the script in Boston uh, in 12 months. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Kevin Anderson, another guy we saw in Chicago, have a ton of success. If he's in top form, it'll be hard to deny him a spot. But I'm going to flip this on you in terms of my first loser. People who doubted Team World, there was a lot of talk coming in, you know, because FAA, it seemed like, turned it down. Nishikori Delpo, obviously injured. We didn't get Schwartzman back. You get Rayonich in, but he didn't even play the U.S. Open. You get Taylor Fritz in. You're like, well, I think he's the fifth young player from Team World that got approached. Uh, Jack Sock, the late inclusion, he hadn't won much in 2019. And then, I, I don't know if you're a Bill Simmons listener. He's a big, you know, the nobody believes in us theory. Nobody believed that Team World was going to put on this sort of fight, and you mentioned it. Should had Sock and Shapovalov won that doubles match on day one, like it really felt 
like they could have. I thought Dennis Shapovalov was a sneaky good doubles player. I think they must have had at least 10 break points on the Tsitsipas serve during that match. And, like, we're we're a point away from it being a 12-all stalemate. We had, as you mentioned, they had three chances to put the match in way in singles. And even though they didn't, you know, I, it was just incredible to see. It shows that this format, the funkiness of it, one point day one, two on two, three on three, all these little things kept it competitive and kept me as a viewer intrigued. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, Team World was sort of playing from behind the whole weekend. But then you had... Isner and Fritz have those back-to-back wins on Sunday, and suddenly they go from, you know, be, being down, what were they down, 7-8-7 seven, seven or whatever? All of a sudden, they're in the lead. It just, um, yeah, I I truly, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I know, again, that's <laughs> ridiculous, but, um, and that actually sort of, that ties into my next loser, who, to me, a little bit, was Stan Wawrinka. I know that there was... There was so much behind the scenes with Stan not being a part of this event, but just seeing tennis in Switzerland and the fact that he's been such a huge part of men's tennis the last 10 years, I, I would have loved to see Stan Amol playing in front of his home uh, home fans. And, you know, he's often in Roger's shadow. He would have been in Roger's shadow again, but he would have had his own spotlight this last weekend. Uh, that was That was a bummer for me that he wasn't able to be there. I think for anyone who got and and I'm I'm not I don't want to speculate and just throw names under the bus but yeah, I'm sure any player watching at home we saw on tennis Twitter the fact of how many players spoke out and mentioned the fact that they were tuned. I think it was Dustin Brown who said, I couldn't remember the last time watching TV on my television at home, but he was tuned into the Laver Cup. So many players seem to respond well to the principles behind this Laver Cup. I agree with you. It it, it certainly, you imagine that uh, they will have more opportunity, or they will want the opportunity to compete in this in the future. And speaking of opportunities, another loser, I'll I'll throw another one in here while we're on the loser front. Uh, Bjorn Borg and I say this lovingly but in the history because year one you wanted to McEnroe Borg that I see how a generation of fans would find appeal in that but now that we see this event for what it is now that we've seen Roger Federer is really coach manager psychologist enthusiast cheerleader player for team Europe we can't find a bigger Team Europe personality from the past to be our coach on the sidelines. Like, McEnroe is tuned in. You're getting a fist pump. You're getting a cheer. You're getting something from him at ev- after every point, at every changeover. Bjorn Borg, you get a slicking back of the hair. You might get a clap if you're Roger Federer. You're certainly going to get a hug. Uh, but I-, I need a little more from my Team Europe coach. <laughs> I just, I mean, it was fascinating to watch him. And it was fascinating to watch then, you know, Rafa and Roger and Engfist even. Actually, I thought Thomas Engfist stepped up even more this weekend. Um, he's a great vice captain. Um, it's it's just Borg, Alex. I mean, I mean like, yeah, what do you... But I'm saying, if, when you're playing, would you rather play for fire or ice? Like, you're like, well, I'm yeah. not... Pl- ice feels cold. Like, I love Bjorn. He's, I mean, so good-looking for a guy his age. He's clearly... <laughs> yeah. He's kept it all. He is everything that his persona lives up to. But, like, get me Guga. Like, uh, get me uh, something yeah. juicy. Well, well, Guga would need to be on Team World, first of all. Oh, that's a good um, point. <laughs> you know, that's I, fine, I loved, too. I think Mary Carrillo, who was working on the broadcast team uh, in Geneva, she at one point... I don't know which match it was, but she said something to the fact of like, you know, Borg got so excited he almost looked like he wanted to talk there. <laughs> just like, yeah, I mean, it's the antithesis. Antithesis, I think, you know, McEnroe because of the, his Davis Cup captaincy and, and you know the different events he's done on in tennis since retiring. I think he sort of figures out exactly how much is too much. I think. Nick Kyrgios like really took on the role of player coach, maybe even talking a little bit too much throughout the weekend. I thought <laughs> um, every changeover, just chatting away. But yeah, no, I, I do hear, um, I do hear you on Borg. Maybe a little more would just feel like he's actually like he. He did say though his his line of the week was this was his favorite week of the year that he was looking forward to this like nothing else. And uh, honestly, I, I interviewed him two or three times in person, and I really do believe him. I think it was his Christmas, his wedding anniversary, his birthday. It was all wrapped into one. 
Well, with that in mind, uh, I'll do a little plugging here. Last night uh, for our Great Shot podcast, we went live and we did a 2019 Labor Cup award show. And I feel like uh, the Labor Cup could really add that very easily in the next couple of years. How is there not like the Bill Russell MVP award in the NBA, the Roger Federer MVP award of the Labor Cup? Uh, We made some fake categories last night. I'm curious on your thoughts. I think Roger Federer for MVP this year, not as good as his 2017 performance, but probably undisputed. Would you agree with that? Um, Well, I listened to some of... Yeah, I listened and watched to some of the award show. Well done, wow, by the way. Thank you. Um, I hmm, I'm blushing. Is, is Roger Federer the MVP? Uh, I mean, it, that was a good save from him. I almost just want to go with Sasha just because of the pressure. I don't know. I mean, the pressure to play that last match and be able to actually win it. Um, but you could argue, does Sasha Zverev even win the match if he doesn't have Roger Federer to turn to on each and every changeover? That's why, for me, with the term mm-hmm. valuable, meaning different things to different people, even outside of the tennis that we saw from Roger, the fact that he was so integral to their team's success. I mean, we got to see swearing Roger. How great is that? Like, that, to me, <laughs> was valuable enough to lock up this award for him. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a strong, like, counter argument for your Federer pick yeah it's Um, a it's it's not a strong MVP year this is like yeah we'll give it to you Russell Westbrook because no one else was really that great (laughs) Uh, I mean I don't know you look at Rafa just for the coaching I mean Rafa was like actively coaching um (laughs) so I don't know maybe I'll slip in a sneaky Rafa as my uh, write-in on the ballot I know. I appreciate a good write-in always. Um, I was going to make a political joke, but I'm going to steer away from it and get you into our next one, best coach, because um, you mentioned the Rafa there. I, uh, I I nominated Federer, Nadal, McEnroe, sneaky Milos Raonic nomination in here because he was given serve locations to Fritz, to all of these guys, all tournament long. Uh, okay. you, you mentioned Kyrgios as well. Who would have been your pick? Uh, Rafa. I, I mean, he just like... The tennis IQ is immense. And then, you know, the want to talk about every little thing at every changeover. Um, A couple years ago, I did a video feature for Indian Wells and we went golfing with Rafa. And I thought it was going to be really fun. And I actually ended up being very, like, even more scared of Rafa because (laughs) he was so intense and, you know, every ball, every every walking between every shot was like, wow, this this guy is very engaged. And that's always been just sort of Rafa's onus. And I felt like I, I didn't watch that closely in Prague in 2017. I watched it sort of a little bit, but I, I just thought he was sensational. So he'd be my coach of the weekend. That'd be fair. And, you know, I don't want to recap every award because, again, for listeners who like that little taste, uh, go check out the Great Shot Podcast 2019 Labor Cup Award Show. But the last one I want to ask you, because this transitions back into winners and losers, you called him a mini winner earlier on. He was one of my full-fledged winners from the event, a guy who on our hypothetical teams I listed as my uh, my second pick for all tournament singles, uh, Taylor Fritz. And the reason I want to bring him up as a winner, bring up my last category we talked about the labor cup and is it a real event is it not but in terms of most impactful of uh, which player is going to perform in this event and who's it going to have the most impact on the way taylor fritz performed in the biggest stages and i suppose you could say this about alex vierv in that clinching match as well uh, but to respond to the way he lost that first set to Pass on day one get it back to a third set breaker to come out fill in uh, on a day when kyrgios pulls out against dominic team and put together the three set performance that he did you just have to wonder for him coming through in a moment like this he even called it one of the biggest wins of his career uh, will we see another jump from him maybe Maybe to propel him top 20 by the end of the year down the home stretch? Um, no, listen, I, I thought it was exceptional. And I actually was sat courtside on his side of the court to get some stuff for Instagram as he won that match. And the celebration, the trifecta chest bump among him, Sock, and Kyrgios was awesome. And then as Andrew Krasny is announcing his name to the arena after he greets his team, shakes hands with team, 
um, and Borg. He walks out to center court and Alex, he, he didn't even acknowledge the crowd. He just let out this like five second roar because it was <laughs> such that moment for him, which I thought was really cool. Um, you do have to put the caveat that Dominic team has been outstandingly average on hard court since winning in Indian Wells. Um, the confidence isn't there. I think he's a little tired. I think that, you know, he, he'd rather this be an indoor red clay event. <laughs> um, but that said, no, I, I thought that was a huge win for Fritz. I, I think that I do think he'll use this as a nice bounce. Um, but I actually thought that Cisa Pass took more from the weekend than Fritz did. Um, Wait, I think, run me through that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, Cisa Pass is the quirkiest of characters that we've had in tennis in a few years. And he said in press on Sunday that he's done everything on his own for himself within his tennis since he can remember. And this is a guy who is playing for Greece, which, you know, their second ranked player, what doesn't even have an ATP ranking. (laughs) So for him to go from Davis Cup and Zonal or whatever sort of, High they had Greece, and then come right to Labor Cup. He said it on Sunday in press. Um, you can actually go to the Labor Cup YouTube channel and watch that full press conference. Shame is plug. Um, but, but he talked about Roger and Rafa and just being around them, team atmosphere. And this is a guy who's lost in the first round of the last two majors after you know making a really really good run. Um, in both uh, Melbourne and Paris. And I just think he's such a sponge. I, you know, I think that Fritz will take a lot from it, but I think he's pass. I think he's actually going to have a bigger bounce on Yeah, I, that was another guy who came up yesterday. For, for all of these players, it's something you saw many uh, observers on tennis Twitter. I think observers is the kindest word we can go with. Mention this as well. Uh, just to watch these top players, uh, some of the, not only the top in terms of results, but the top tennis minds in the world, uh, just interact with the younger generation of players to see them share their experiences, share their thoughts on different moments. I keep turning to this, but Rafa and Zverev's conversation of Zverev going, hey, you got to go to the Rayonich backhand, and Nadal going, yeah, but if I go there every time in the big moments, how am I going to be able to go there without him knowing? Those little pieces of knowledge, it's just that sort of interaction, you don't get to see it week in, week out. I'll keep repeating it. I guess, you know, on the WTA, there is on-court coaching, but it's not a staple of every changeover. You know, those interactions isn't something you're seeing as an integral part of the match. It's not, oh, I split sets, I'm going back and coming back out of the tunnel with two of my teammates who happen to be Nadal and Federer beside me. Uh, Yeah, it's just, I think for all, for Tsitsipas, given, and all of these young guys, just to get the chance to soak in this experience. One hopes it will help give them a little push coming, you know, down the home stretch and into 2020. Yeah. I mean, actually, and you kind of look at some of the advice that Fed and Rafa were passing on to the likes of teams, Verov and Sisapas, And it's almost like them, like giving the advice to guys that are are still knocking on the door that can beat them at at the majors, you know, uh, will they pull, you know, will they pull from that well of knowledge the next time they play a Rafa or a Roger or a Novak? Um, I also would just, I would really, I think we'll get it down the road. It should be the Billie Jean King Cup if it happens. But to have a women's event like this, I would love to see an on-court coaching exchange between Bianca and Serena. And, uh, you know, I think it would create the same brilliance, much the same. I'm going to keep plugging this idea. Let's make it tennis's all-star game. Let's have both men and women on these teams. If we want to go over, under, you know, one team over 30, the other team under 30, that's a fun idea. If we want to keep it team world versus team Europe, that's a fun idea. But I, I agree with you. The King Cup, I would be in on that as its own event. I would be in on a joint event similar to Hopman Cup, just a little larger in scale in terms of the teams. Because clearly, again, as your first winner referred to, Tennis was a winner from this format. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, any other final Labor Cup winners and losers? Because, uh, you know, as I mentioned on the top, there are still five other professional events, at least at that 250 or above level equivalent to, to discuss. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all settled. 
Yeah, it was, uh, there was nothing that red carpet. You didn't get, you know, which player wore their tux best? Who, who was looking good? <laughs> um, I thought team was looking good. I mean, team has grown <laughs> out his hair a lot, and he had his hair, like, slicked back. I mean, Roger and Rafa looked great. They did a whole photo cal- call right next to each other. Um, I mean, that black carpet was really cool with the big, like, Moet Tower and everyone was dressed to the nines and you know what the last loser actually is the player intros this year were just like not the thing like the last two years there were some really funny moments i don't know if the guys just like weren't prepped on them like the only one that really maybe was somewhat funny was rafa just because you know he was very sort of self-deferential in roger um you know saying he had to in in uh introduce this unknown player which everyone i thought that was so funny but um yeah no the black carpet was pretty cool um and i i I did fully enjoy like bringing fabio fonini over to the instagram live and i was like fabio we're live and he was like okay what are we going to talk about and i was like no no no, we're live like i'm there's literally okay like first question here we go (laughs) oh love love fabio and r.i.p to his labor cup career because i don't think he's going to be invited back next year (laughs) coming in at 6'4 250 pounds the linebacker out of the university of nebraska jack sock 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 uh, no, yeah, I I agree. Those interests. I mean, that was half of the fun of Chicago. They sell out United Arena as well. Clearly, this event, in my opinion, a win. Um, but let's move on to the larger scene. There were a ton of events, as I mentioned, three on the WTA calendar, two on the ATP. Your first winner from that portion of the tennis world this week. Well, I'm. I mean, listen, I've forever been a Sam Stoser super fan, and I know this is a little bit left field, but Sam Stoser um, makes the final on Guangzhou, um, and I actually bring her up in the context of labor, or excuse me, of Fed Cup, um, because Australia will play France in what five or six weeks for the chance to win the Fed Cup. I think for the first time in something like forty years. Um, and Stoser has been pretty downright atrocious for much of the season after winning uh, the Australian Open with Zhang Shui. So I thought that was huge for her just to get some confidence back in her tennis. And I think that'll serve if she can be playing some more confident tennis. I think, you know, Ash Barty's most likely 99% going to get two points for two rubbers for the Australian Fed Cup team. And then I think it'll be really big to have uh, Sam Stoser help out with trying to win a third and give Australia a Fed Cup title. I'm glad you bring up Stoser because the player who beat her in that final, Sophia Kennan, is my first winner I want to discuss. And this isn't meant to write off uh, Stoser because I agree with you. Her performance uh, to get this sort of result at the end of your season, when you're feeling the pressures of, am I going to be able to get into qualifying or get a main draw spot at the Australian Open, as you mentioned, with Fed Cup on the horizon, uh, you just have to imagine this is good for your confidence. But for Sophia Kennan, and each year at the end of the season, Jonathan Kelly uh, and I like to do a State of the Union on uh, both the American men and the American women just to sort of recap. And coming into the year, if I would have told you that Sophia Kennan would win three titles, uh, you look at her in the live rankings now, I believe she's, what, number 15. I think you look at the WTA race to the year-end finals, she's number 12 right now. So again, for a player, for perspective for listeners, she's accumulated the 12th most amount of points in matches this season. I mean, that's a massive jump, and it sucks because you look at Ashley Barty, you look at Bianca Andreescu, you look at Naomi Osaka, they're all in a similar age range, and they're winning slams, so that's going to get obvious headlines, but... If you want to say Serena's been the best American player because uh, women because she's made two Grand Slam finals, that's fine. But in my opinion, week in, week out, the best American female player has been Sophia Kennan. And if I would have told you that was going to happen at the start of 2019, you would have called me crazy. Uh, no, I mean, listen, all, those points are all well made. I actually watched Kennan. I was courtside when the U.S. lost in the Czech Republic. Um, and Kennan lost two of those rubbers. But Alex, I felt like she might have a year like this. Maybe not this successful. I mean, those are some crazy stats, but beats Serena at the French Open, beats Ash Barty as world number one in Toronto, makes a deep run at the U.S. Open. She's now won three titles this year. She reached another final at Acapulco. 
Um, and the thing is, I think I actually, we talked about this a little bit when I was on the podcast the last time, is Andre Rublev is this guy who's like such a tennis nerd. Like he loves mm-hmm. tennis so much. And it's kind of hard to find those characters on tour that are like so into it. They're watching it all ta- all the time. All they want to do is eat, sleep and breathe it. And Sophia Kennan is another one of those. Um, and so I, I think that, yeah, I, I mean, I think that she's got to develop a little more weaponry in her game overall to kind of get crack inside that top 10. You saw Madison Keys was just able to kind of like be a little bit stronger than her at the U.S. Open. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that one. I think that she's certainly one to watch out for the rest of the season. And who knows, she could even slip into Singapore. I think she'd, or excuse me, Shenzhen. I think she'd still be in the race for it. So Daniil Medvedev gets a lot of credit because he's the ATP wins leader right now on tour. But you look at Sophia Kennan with the three titles. She's 44 and 19. You mentioned she, I don't think she made a slam semifinal this year, but she made consistent second week or, you know, third round or later appearances. It's a little fee, not to, you know, make the, it, it feels like Medvedev season on the WTA side, this uh, girl week in, week out has been as consistent as anyone on the WTA tour. She, she doesn't lose first rounds often. She's making quarterfinals or deeper of significant premier mandatory events. She's just doing all of the little check marks you want to achieve as you ascend up the rankings. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that Fed Cup loss because it's very easy to get down in a moment like that. Um, and clearly, if anything, it propelled her forward. And you know, now I'm sure she'll be a staple of Fed Cup teams when the King Cup gets going. You imagine you could see her pop up <laughs> on one of those teams. It's just tough with Anisimova with Goff uh, making slam semifinals or the breakthroughs that Goff did. Uh, don't sleep on Sophia Kennan as fu- uh, American woman who has future number one totally. in her potential. Totally. Uh, I, I You're stretching it a little bit comparing her to Medvedev. I see the point you're making. Yeah. Um, but no, The consistency, I'm, right? It's just yes, like on a hard yes. court, she is a top 10, uh, not top, top 20 for sure WTA player. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. You mentioned Medvedev, though. I mean, I thought it was so huge the way that he came through in St. Petersburg. Uh, I mean, he even said in press after um, winning there that he there were a lot of people, I think, that just assumed he was going there to get his appearance fee, to play a couple matches, and to be two and done. And he's the first Russian male to win St. Petersburg in 15 years, since Eugenie did in 2004. And this is, he, he is, you know, he's locked in for London. And when, you know, when we look ahead to the next two months of the season and what's going to transpire between now and that last day in Madrid for the Davis Cup final, um, Medvedev is a big name for me. I think that he could cause havoc in London. And um, I'm, I'm speaking out of the side of my mouth. I think Russia's in the Davis Cup final. <laughs> could also cause havoc with the team that he has in Hachinov and Andrei Rublev as well. Um, but he, he really is, for me, kind of that big outlying story to watch. Aside from, I think a little bit now, there's the injury concern for Rafa. We didn't really mention that, the inflammation in his hand. Um, it's not a wrist injury. Rafa was very particular in making sure we knew that in Geneva. It's inflammation in his left hand. That, that's why he pulled out of the Fed all doubles as well as the Curios singles. Um, I actually think he probably could have played the doubles, but then didn't want the... Um, can you imagine if he would have played doubles and then pulled out of the singles? Right. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But, um, you know, Novak had that injury problem. Roger had an injury problem, and now Rafa has an injury problem. I'm just putting that out there as sort of a general, you know, thought bubble. You've got a struggling Zverev confidence-wise, the double fault hips. You've got Dominic Thiem who hasn't played a great hardcourt match since Indian Wells when he saved championship point against Roger. So all roads to me point to Medvedev as your London champion. I'm looking right now on Bovada, and I don't think I'm going to find it. But, yeah, I'm curious what those odds would be, right? Because he's probably the first guy you you would circle, and a wise person may go place a bet on that. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think for him to not only win in St. Petersburg, but to win in straight sets. I mean, now he's got, what, six finals in his last six tournaments, two titles to that, but also, you know, uh, Masters 1000 final, his first Grand Slam final. Yeah, he has been so good down the home stretch. And it, the fact that he's doing this week in, week out, uh, if this doesn't show that he's that the, he's for real, that this jump that he's taken in 2019 is going to be able to last, I don't know what else could convince you of that. He has simply been stellar, and like uh, it's just it's so incredible to watch. I agree. You talk another guy who, despite how unconventional his game is, it just seems to be working. Totally, a hundred percent. I don't know his exact, you know, what they've mapped out his schedule to be the last few weeks of the season, but. I think they have to be careful a little bit to not sort of, you know, overextend him because he hasn't had a situation like this, right? Where he's won, I think, 24 of his last 27 matches. And between that first match in hot and humid D.C. to winning in St. Petersburg, he's had what? He had the week of Winston-Salem off and then he would have had the week after the U.S. Open off. So he's had two weeks, quote unquote, off where he probably was still playing. He was definitely playing tennis in the lead up to the U.S. Open. So if he took a few days off after the U.S. Open, so be it. But, um, you know, I think he's just they've got to be careful of body management because I think that's something that team and Zverev have struggled a little bit. And Pass, look at Pass this year. I mean, he, he's running on empty because he played so well at the beginning half of the year and he also played so much doubles at the beginning half of the year. So, you know, these guys, we talk about how do you break through against the big three? It's also about schedule management from from the agents and agencies. And, and so I'll be curious to see how Medvedev sort of maps himself out for the rest of the year. And I did fact check that Russia indeed is in the Davis Cup final. I was, I was going to say I have that pulled up in front of me as well. But settle this for me because I use my parents as test subjects and I said, uh, you know, dad, mom, uh, given that none of Medvedev, Hachanov, or who I affectionately call Kachanov, Rublev are in the Labor Cup, what team would you be? What do you think they'd be on? And I asked them separately, and my mom goes, oh, I think they would be on Team World, right? And then I asked my dad, and he goes, oh, they would probably be on Team Europe. And so my question to you, Nick, are they not including a Russian player simply to not have to face that question? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, from what I understand, and this is, uh, I have no good sourcing on this, but from what I understand, Alex, is that because this event happens in conjunction with other ATP events, mm-hmm. the St. Petersburg event has basically told Labor Cup, don't touch our Russian players. <laughs> no, no, really. I, I mean, from a marketing yeah. standpoint. It makes imagine, sense. Can you imagine St. Petersburg as a 250 that's trying to survive and do well as an event? All of a sudden, Hachinov and Medvedev are going to play Labor Cup. Uh, so so I, I don't know that for a fact, but that's how I read the team leads as far as why they weren't there. Um, and I, I, my vote would fall that team, that team Europe would get the Russian play. I mean, Russia is in Europe. I think they would make... Can you imagine the Russian players on Team World? That would make for a better event. But Russia is... Russia equals Europe. One of my long-going jokes, this was our first podcast with Crack Rackets, is if Andy Murray ever plays Labor Cup, doesn't Brexit mean, you know, Great Britain told the EU, hey, we're good, you know, we don't need to be in Europe anymore, we're fine. So I feel like Team World, we have a claim to Andy Murray (laughs) at this point. Uh, But obviously, you know, throw Russia right in that category of, yeah, I... Look, you, again, you can make the case either way, and I feel like maybe St. Petersburg stay where you are so that we don't have to answer that question, but... We could also just make this the official all-star game of the tennis calendar. We move it, rearrange it to a weekend that works for both men and women, uh, and then we're all winners. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's interesting uh, on the Medvedev front, just to wrap that off. I think I saw, including St. Petersburg, he had seven events left scheduled on the season. That includes wow. you know, uh, Paris Masters. I think he was uh, St. Petersburg, year-end finals, uh, Masters event in China, or the 500 in China. Um, because he he did he went on a big run at the end of last season as well. So at the time, I'm sure he imagined he'd have a ton of points to defend. Points, now, yeah. as you mentioned, uh, there's definitely going to be some schedule managing from him down the home stretch. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that's going to be big for him. But you know, because yeah. he he wants to peak. You now look at his season, and um, 
he wants to peak in London and Madrid, I would guess. Um, and, you know, not that Paris, Bercy, uh, Shanghai aren't big events, but, you know, they've got to make sure that he's not completely spinning his wheels come O2. Absolutely. Again, that you don't want him to be teamed, and I say that lovingly. Um, yeah, it's it's so hard for these young guys to make the jump, break into the top five that you want to fight like hell to stay in there. Uh, but yeah, that's part of getting older. You got to pick your spots. But with that in mind, any other winners and losers you want to get to? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a huge win for Osaka in Osaka. Um, mm-hmm. You know, fourth career title. Um, I actually, I was trying to figure this out. Did she have a coach with her in Osaka? I think it was just her dad. Yeah, um, I, I think she was just there with her, her family. So, yeah, I mean, it's her first tournament post the Jermaine Jenkins uh, trial period. Was that a trial period? I guess it was a coaching stint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought fling. That was, I'd say fling. fling. Coaching fling. Yeah, yeah I, I would rather not use that term to describe a coach in a play in the WTA. <laughs> I, I meant it sure. respectfully, as in I say a serious relationship. This is Alex Gruskin's definitions of relationship. That's why. <laughs> just just so everyone knows. <laughs> no, no, That's no, a no, year. Yeah. I'm just going to um, yeah, Exactly. No, no, no. That, I just thought that was big for her to sort of, you know, prove herself in, in that way. Not that she needs to prove herself, but to win in Japan for the first time. It's her fourth career title. You know, it's her first title since Australia when she's had all of these issues. And she came through some tough matches, you know, beating Putin Seva, who's a player she's never beaten before. I, I, I obviously wasn't there, but I heard from a few people there for the WTA that it, it was essentially the Osaka Open and not the city, the, the person. And <laughs> so to have all of that pressure, I mean, I saw Roger deal with it a lot at Labor Cup, but it, that's, he's used to that. And I think Osaka's really figuring out how she does that on her own. And I think that's big, you know, since basically you look at the stint with Jermaine Jenkins, they weren't able to win a title together. And so for her to do that in her first tournament without him, I thought that was huge. And then you look at schedule management, she then goes and pulls out of Wuhan, which I thought was pretty smart of them because I I would assume then she goes right to Beijing and there's still the onus for her to go to Shenzhen and to perform well there. And so she obviously, you know, wins in Osaka. She she needs the time, I think, especially mentally to get ready for what's to come next. And to go to Wuhan, she just knew that she was going to lose in the first or second round, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I thought that was a really, really big for her. Um, and... Yeah, I, I I was gonna add. You we mentioned this with Medvedev. Not only did she win in Osaka, she didn't drop a set. She played one seven five set in her first round match, and then from there, you know, nothing worse than six four two and three in the final from her. And given that you know she didn't defend her U.S. Open title, and she's got an Australian Open title to defend first thing come twenty twenty, it's a little thing like that. Getting these end of points now in the bank to sit on next year that's huge for a young player. Yeah, no, that's well put. And I don't think it's just the points, right? It's the confidence. And mm-hmm. for her, she's been on this roller coaster. I actually thought she played some of her best tennis this season at the U.S. Open. I mean, the way that she came through those first couple rounds, the mm-hmm. way that she handled Coco Goff, uh, you know, tennis-wise, I thought it was a pretty good match between her and Benchich. Benchich just has her number. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it's massive. Um, a couple other winners for me, Alex, uh, on the women's tennis sphere over the last week is the Kim Kleister's comeback. I, I know that's a little <laughs> I know that's a little outdated, but i'm I'm really dang excited. I think tennis wins with Kim Kleisters. I don't know how much Kim Kleisters is going to win tennis matches. I really don't, but I would love to go out there, uh, you know, love for her to go out there and, and try to win as much as she can. I think it's going to be a pleasure to have her back on tour. And then happy- At, real quick as a social media yeah. czar, what did you think of her comeback video? I, I loved it. I mean, it was like a little over the top, right? It was just <laughs> like, uh, you know, but, but I loved it. It's it was like some Labor Cup aspect. Some of it's a little over the top, but yeah. that's half the fun. Yeah, totally. And I mean, look, look, they're shooting this documentary. Like, obviously, they've done a lot of filming. Like, you know, she's a businesswoman now too. So it's like, okay, I'm going to come back to the WTA. Like, she obviously the passion is there for her. 
But um, no, I actually, yeah, it was a little, I had a couple people kind of text me like rolling eye emojis as to the <laughs> video. And I was like, yeah, I agree with you. But like, come on, like, <laughs> why not? It's the age of social media. Like she hasn't, she hasn't gotten to like, you know, be a part of this as a player, be a part of this part of the tour. Um, I also want to wish the WTA a happy 49th anniversary and Billie Jean King um, for, you know, the, the original nine just yesterday met 49 years ago and um, women's tennis continues to be the biggest global sport for women in, you know, full stop. And um, that is a huge props to Billie Jean King. And I'm, I'm actually looking at the Billie Jean King uh, real life action figure that I got at the US <laughs> Open. And um, it says on the side of the box, no surprise, pressure is a privilege. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, Westoff, give me, give me a congratulations sound effect, please. I, I cannot agree with you. I'm really glad you brought that up because, yeah, it's. Uh, it's so cool, and we we talk about it with Osaka. I mean, you mentioned it earlier as a joke, but the Laver Cup equivalent is the Billie Jean King Cup. We're just waiting for it. I'm even down if when we do a mutual all-star game, it's the Billie Jean King MVP award. Like, she makes sense. Sure. Um, so, yeah, hu- a huge winner uh, for me as well. Uh, you mentioned Osaka. Can we just talk about, uh, I mean, that we had three WTA events post-U.S. Open uh, in, like, in one week. There is no tennis gap. You mentioned tennis as a winner at the top. That's another winner for me. Just when you think there's going to be a little bit of a lull in this season, you're like, oh, no more Grand Slams. I can catch my breath. I don't have to do 91 uninterrupted hours of U.S. Open now. Um, <laughs> nope, just kidding. Like We actually have five events for you, WTA ATP-wise, plus a Laver Cup to throw at you. So, that's because you uh, that's because you literally host a freaking daily podcast <laughs> that's why you're happy about it no no one else is happy about it no yeah, one. Ca- counterpoint we take uh saturdays and sundays off so Ooh, you know man. it's i get a little shabbat action it's fine um <laughs> well I, we should shout out to rebecca Pedersen who won her first wca title um carolina mukova who won in seoul she's inside the top 40 she is Mukova is someone you talk about Kenan. I mean, Mukova has been a little slower to to the, um, you know, just slower out of the blocks. But I think she's 23 now, Mukova. But mm-hmm. um, she, she is someone I, I suspect is going to have a really, um, you know, kind of watch Vondrushova's like disappeared over the last few months. And Mukova is just like playing exceptional tennis. She plays a weird brand of, not weird, but she just has, her strokes are, are very different. She plays all court. Yeah, she's 23. She's ranked 37 career high. And um, yeah, I think we have big things to come from her too. This is a stupid age story, but we once did a 20, because I'm 23. Uh, so that's always my cutoff. It's like 23 and under rankings, you know, 23 and under, yada, yada, yada. Because uh, in case you can't tell, one of the winners always is my ego. Um, but in terms of Carolina Mukova, she is freshly 23, but we did a 23 and under ranking, and it was Maria Sakari, I think's birthday that day. And so, like, I started recording 11.47 p.m., and by the time we got to her, it was like 12.20. 25 and I click refresh on the rankings and she's gone. And I was like, wait a second. Like she was 22 or like 23.9, like a week ago. Where did she go? Or like an hour ago. And it turned out it was her birthday that day. But yeah, Mukova, uh, another great player to circle the way she came through that draw. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good weekend of tennis overall. I just, I, again, I, I'm a fan. Yeah, um, I also huge week for John uh, Millman to get a challenger win after, gosh, where did he, how far did he drop after losing those U.S. Open points? I thought that was huge for him. Nicest guy on tour. Um, and then just today, Andy Murray getting that win over um, a guy named Tana Sangren. Um, I thought that was big for Murray and Zhuhai. It's his first ATP win since January, since surgery on the singles court. Um, And I think Murray's committed to playing, what, like four or five ATP events this fall. So uh, watch that space, too. But, uh, you know, Murray's playing for the love of it. I mean, the fact that he goes to the Challenger at Mallorca and then he goes to Zhuhai, uh, you know, obviously be paid a pretty, pretty decent appearance. Mm -hmm. Um, But Murray, you know, Rafa and Roger were asked about him a couple times in Geneva, and they both just gave him major props for what he's trying to do with this comeback. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's more surprising that he's never played a Laver Cup or that the only Frenchman to play a Laver Cup was Jeremy Chardy. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you you think from those two in particular. I mean, Team World is all or Team World, Team Europe is always stacked, but like you'd think there'd be a space for those aspects as well. Because and the last winner I want to point to uh, because I agree with you on the John Millman, who's by the way live ranking now number seventy nine. But how about Joe Wilfred? Song? Come on, Joe Willie. Yeah, exactly. This is the one we've <laughs> got to mention. I mean, he now live rankings is back up into the top 40, sitting at number 39. I mean, he gets, I think I read a stat that nine of his 18 titles, uh, ATP titles coming into the week were in France. Now, obviously, that number <laughs> 10 of 19. So it's always been a place he succeeded. But even in a non-Labor Cup uh, setting, the joy on Joe Wilfred Songa's place, uh, uh, face when he's playing tennis is so compelling. It's so uh, capturing. You just want to watch him play on and on and on. Totally. I, I, um, I just, you know, Sanga, and that was a, it looked like a pretty good match against Badene. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure, I'm just checking this now. Um, for ATP Tennis Radio, we do this vault prediction. So if you guys haven't checked out ATP Tennis Radio, you actually should. We do all the Masters 1000s. Um, I'm going to commentate for Milan, and I'll be at the O2 for London. Shameless plug. <laughs> but my comeback player of the year was Joe Wilfred Sanga, and I think that I think I might have a pretty good argument. That's pretty good. That I'm trying to think of in that terms vault, of that was on January eighth. I made that life choice. That is that is a very nice prediction. I'm trying. I couldn't. I, we do too many podcasts. Or someone on Twitter was like, "Do you remember in episode sixty when you said this one bad thing about Medvedev's forehand?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> like not at all um so yeah that that was a good prediction i'm trying to think in terms of comeback who's someone who suffered from injury and really thrived this year i mean Mur- uh, murray of course but like, but he hasn't thrived to the same level as sanga well he won a doubles title at a 500 come on <laughs> yeah yeah oh, yeah excuse me on grass too so i mean gotta, you probably know. rublev was rublev's been pretty big that's to be a really Federer good one but, Can we say I mean, Andrescu? Isn't Andrescu just the perennial comeback, given how injured she was th- at the end of last year throughout parts of this no, season? I feel she like, wouldn't, she'd be a breakthrough player of the year. Uh, I feel like... No yeah, way. You're right. Come on. Yeah, that's why no they don't way. let me have a she vote. She wouldn't be a comeback player. Where'd she come back to? She came back to the top 10. She was like, do you miss me from the junior days? I'm next oh, to you. Oh, no. Com- complete <laughs> disagree. Your song is inside the top 40 now. He started out the year as 95, I think. So, Or no, he started out the year way down there. Um, I'm sorry. It's the first time I've actually completely disagreed with you on something. (laughs) Not a comeback player, please. Uh, Well, that just shows my brain is so deep uh, in the week. You know, I was like, she's going to be top 100 eventually. And Sanga was ranked 239. He's now ranked 39. So I'll take that one. What about like uh, Fonini, just to win... The Masters event, I, I come back now. That doesn't. But where count. did he go? He, where is he coming back from? Uh, from irrelevancy? Like no, I don't know. Irrelevant. <laughs> I know. I'm just. I'm trying to think. Rayonich for coming back from missing the U.S. Open and competing in. A, no, now I'm just. What is he? Names. Yeah. What is he? I mean, Stan. Maybe Stan. There's a little argument yeah, there. That's, I'm literally just looking through the live rankings. I'm like, God, yeah, who but else your choices can I make are very questionable. <laughs> <laughs> can I say? Uh, Nick McCarvel's the comeback player of the year for coming like, back again, on the mini I'm break not podcast. Sure where you thought I went last year, but I was, uh, I was yeah, always well you, here, baby. You weren't on the mini break pod last year, but now you've come back <laughs> twice. Uh, so we appreciate it. I'm trying to think. God, nope. I, I give up. You're right, Sanga. But I reserve the right to fight you on that. Take I mean, Stan, I think Stan's a good argument, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, but well, Stan was injured, but has he done any, Has he won a title this year? I don't think so. That quarterfinal in uh in at Paris. the US Open was really and, and, and was Paris. it round of sixteen? Yeah, in Paris and then though I mean the way he survived, I guess Djokovic retired, but to get that win at the US Open, uh yeah, quarterfinals there as well. I guess it comes down to what you value more. Those sorts of results, the rankings or Songa's title there. That I think Songa won a challenger last week as well. So to go challenger title, now ATP title, if he can string a couple of uh, more results like this together, get his 11th of 20 titles in Paris at the Paris Masters. <laughs> yeah, that, then for sure he's the sure, guy. Sure, why not? 
Yeah. Um, but with that in mind, uh, again, I'm sure for you it, it must be, what, like 4 a.m. Uh, Geneva time, something crazy like that. Uh, any final thoughts? Any more winners and losers? No. Uh, just want to give you an affirmation that you are indeed, Alex, a winner. In <laughs> oh, I appreciate that, Nick. Although after that uh, comeback player of the year take, I am definitely the loser of that segment. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Um, but for our listeners who appreciated that uh, all of your work at Labor Cup, who want to see where you're at, what you're up to down the 2019 home stretch, where can they find your work, Nick? Um, I'm going to the figure skating realm, which I know excites many people in tennis. Go <laughs> uh, on. For the, no. for the next month, I'll do Skate I love, America. I love when you go figure skating covered. I like the pivot. I'm all in on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Skate America is in Vegas, October 18th to 20th. I'll be the host of the Ice Desk, which is a live pre and post show for every session. You can find it on U.S. Figure Skating social channels. Um, I'll be at Skate Canada doing some behind-the-scenes stuff uh, for U.S. figure skating and a few other folks. And then I'm back on the tennis beat uh, for Milan. I'll be on ATP Tennis Radio. You can listen to it on ATP World or ATPTour.com and the Audible – or wait, Audible? I don't know. Just find, You'll find it somewhere on some app, and then I'll be, <laughs> I'll be on the ground uh, in London for the O2 for ATP Tennis Radio as well. What are what is Nick McCarville better at? Ice skating or hit and serves? Um, oh my gosh, I, I've literally ice skate uh, skated in my life like four times. I, I was I was a pretty decent tennis player in high school, so Yeah, you know, the slums of it's Montana, right? Or the the peaks of Montana may not have many ice rinks. State runner up two thousand three, baby. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear it. Well, I do. Um, for uh, you know, I, I do a quick round out here. We appreciate all that you have done, Nick, down the home stretch. And again, for people who want to find his work, uh, the Twitter account I believe is at Nick McCarville. Again, two C's in McCarville uh, for you listeners who may not know that. Uh, but we appreciate all that you do to cover the sport. We also appreciate our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, who, as always, have a f- of an editing job to do. And I keep throwing this in now on episodes. But seriously, Nick, don't get any ideas about stealing West stuff because he is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. When you find out the things he can learn how to do in six hours, you're going to be like, what? Like this guy, I, I promise this guy is the real deal. And hopefully you remember those keywords. That's the break. But in case you didn't, there's my reminder for you, Nick. But for my wonderful co-host, Nick McCarville, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire teams at both the Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Networks, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nick, what do we tell our listeners? Uh, I actually forgot. No idea. Oh, I tried to throw it in. That's the break. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And we will see you all next week. Thanks again, Nick.